Oh, our podcast. The name of our podcast is Words Hard. Yeah, Words which Hard. Is, which Words is Hard. Which is similar to your. That's great. So, Paul and Jeff say Words Hard. I like it. <laughs> we might have to title the episode. With Christopher and Joe. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like, uh, like one of those uh, improv titled things I never watched in the 90s. <laughs> Words hard. <laughs> By Dice Clay. <laughs> yes. Available for rent at Blockbuster. So we didn't really like do a proper start. We just kind of like started, started. Um, so we're joined today by Christopher and Joe. We appreciate you guys coming over. Uh, this is the most guests at one time that we've ever had on our podcast. Last time we talked about, uh, what did we talk about? Jobs, jobs and like interviews and stuff. And so we're going to do something similar. Uh, right? Uh, wilderness survival. Oh, it, do, are we going to do that? That's interesting. Yeah. Well, we didn't come up with anything else. I just kind of pulled it out of my hat as it were. Yeah. So yes, if you were let's wearing do it. One. I thought we were going to talk about the tyranny of gluten. <laughs> the, tyr- the tyranny of gluten. <laughs> we certainly can. <laughs> Big gluten. That's yeah. also similar to jobs and interviews. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar. What if you were stuck in the wilderness and we're allergic to gru- to gluten. Gruten. Gr- <laughs> or Groot. Were you going to say Groot? I was going to say Gruten. Okay. So you have celiac disease, you're starving to death, and all you have is a big French loaf of bread. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? It sounds like a game of what's worse. How much gluten <laughs> is there in the wilderness? Uh, I think I think you can you could do pretty well gluten free in the wilderness. I think so too. Yeah. I think you'd be mostly protein and starvation. Yeah, I think that's and pretty much what you vegetables. get. That's that's your that's your only uh, that's the dietary restrictions are imposed upon you. Very yeah. few soy milk lattes out there, but besides that, yeah. So I, before we start on this, I'd like to, because I judge myself by those around me, are, am I talking to somebody that is like good at outdoor <laughs> wilderness survival thingies? No. None no. of us are experts as far as I know. Okay. As far as I know. My confidence is increasing. Well, that's why I'm here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> you show us. You teach us. Yeah, no, I've had I've had experiences of getting lost in the wilderness and doing things badly, but uh, yeah. not an expert. <laughs> like, like I've had maybe two experiences where I thought that you know my survival was questionable. Really? Yeah, and by two I mean like one. <laughs> 
The other time was just like I was really tired. Everything is by a factor of 0.5 today. Yes. Yes. Uh, but I certainly am not a... I feel like I'm a good candidate for just survival. But wilderness survival is kind of a whole... It's a subset of survival. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose I a, it is. I guess it doesn't a, have to be yeah. wilderness survival. I had a moment a few days ago where I had a terrible fever and I was lying in bed. I was pretty sure I was going to die. Oh, my. Is that, does that count? You survived. Actually, I, I think did. it does. I am a survivor. I've had those moments, too. That's brutal. Like just a really bad flu where you're laying there almost like, I don't know if I'm going to pull through. Yeah. In reading a few books, uh, dehydration is is gigundous when you're out there. And it, most of my stuff was, that I read was in Alaska, which basically you feel like you're going to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you could process, yeah. man, I, I just shut down when I get dehydrated. Like I can't. Me too. I have to, I have to be very careful. I carry this with me everywhere I go. Otherwise, there's instant death. Instant. It, no. <laughs> instant it, death. I think yes. it would be much better if it was instant. Yeah. But from what I've exactly. seen, is yeah. it's slow and painful. You want to die. So what is it? The, yeah. the, the old rule that it's, it's three minutes without air, three days without water, three weeks without food. Three is days without three, water? Three, three and three. Three, three, three. Goodness. You have, you have a lot of knowledge. I have way more knowledge than I had. Well, I just watch a lot of YouTube videos. Joe has a lot. You're, well, Joe's uh, wearing the, the shirt of an outdoor sports company, so I think he's our authority today. Oh. And he, he's yeah. already proven That's that. Good point. Yeah. It's in the Marmot true. Guidebook 333. <laughs> okay. Is that like the, uh, the junior woodchuck hand, like from, from DuckTales? Yeah. You, you guys remember DuckTales? Woo. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They were they were like an out they were like the Boy Scouts of Duckburg. Huey, and Dewey, had, and Louie. Yeah. Oh, nice reference. Yeah. Nice reference. I watch that every day after school. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's amazing that there was a new one on every day. It was it was it was like it was like Monday and Friday or something that there was an episode of DuckTales, or was it every every day? Disney uh, for, around here it was every day. It was every day. Yeah. And it was, it seemed, there was another one. Uh, Animatrix or Animaniacs. Animaniacs. That, that was mine. Oh, that was so That good. was so subversive. Fantastic. It highly, was subversive. Highly inappropriate if you rewatch it now. There's so much innuendo in that stuff. And probably a lot of racially insensitive and no. sexist things. <laughs> no. <laughs> you ever watch anything like lately going back before like the whole Me Too stuff and, the go, and just cringing? Because mm. it's like. Yeah, like the world was just not. They didn't care. Yeah, as my, much. My wife and daughter just rewatched. Um, I think it was Cinderella or the original Jungle Book. I can't remember now. But my wife's like, man, there's so much inappropriate stuff <laughs> yeah. in those old cartoons that just would not fly today. Yeah. Like in a so re-release, they would just edit out. They would just edit out like half the movie in a re-release. Right. Yeah. yeah. Especially so I, comedies. Comedies are the, from the nineties. Yeah. Really comedies bad. from the nineties. Yeah. It's back when people were tough. Yeah. They That's wouldn't right. survive the today. Hey. Nice, nice seg. 
Ooh. <laughs> I was wondering how that was going to work. <laughs> yeah. So here's something I was thinking about with, with this topic of survival. Hey, why don't you tell us, Joe? Thank you. Um, all right. So, so by definition, to survive, you need uh, you know, food, water, shelter, fire. Ish, right? Yeah, and the ten CDs that you would bring with you if you found yourself in that situation. Mm -hmm. CDs, CDs. What are CDs? Compact discs. Uh, Ah, I thought they were certificates of of deposit. So that changes things. So we're surviving in 1996. (laughs) So it would be ah, it's a period. Hootie and the Blowfish uh, cracked rear view. (laughs) See, yes. That Oasis album, the yeah. only one apparently they ever released. A really old Erasure CD. Supersonic, uh, Closing Time. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So right next to your shelter, food, water, and fire, you have your stack of CDs in a six-disc changer boombox. Yeah. It's plugged into your car. It still has gas in it. You just turn it on, fire it up. And for whatever reason, you need to survive at this rest stop. Your, your, your 94 Volkswagen Jetta uh, red. <laughs> a little rust on it, maybe. Yeah. I'm seeing the scenario play out very clearly. <laughs> yeah. it sounds scary, yep. really. Yeah. Really, yeah. really. There's not a vending machine at the rest stop. It's just like one of those non-potable water things. Yep. Is it potable? Or, it's potable. or potable. Potable? Potable. I think they say potable. I think, I think it's potable press on yeah so uh so conceptually let me let me throw this out and you guys correct me please so i feel like if you go back a couple hundred years Mm. maybe 300 years when the life expectancy of most males was in their early 40s that food water fire and shelter were is that legit like 40s yeah Oh, okay, so yes, it's a legit number, but I don't know if that's because so, no, no. I think it's a legit number, but I'm not sure if that's because of how many um, unsuccessful births there were. Oh, uh, that might skew it. Like if you made it past childhood, you, sure, mm, sure, you sure. could live. Oh, because we're talking averages. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you threw that data out. How long people actually lived, but I do feel like a couple hundred years ago, survival was way more of an immediate need every day. Like none of those things are necessarily guaranteed unless mm. you were upper crust or royalty or whatever. Right. Yeah. Depends on your situation, but yeah, I could see just the, you know, Joe blow, you know, not that they had those names back then, but, uh, just Sir Joe blow <laughs> <laughs> County Shropshire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, you know, just regular guy, farmer guy. Oh, yeah, yeah surf, peasant. Pre- peasant, there you go. Yeah. I feel yeah, like I, if you were a peasant, you were more likely to, to know how to live off the land, uh, right? There you go. Out of necessity. It's true. And if, if you were a, a royal person uh, of royal descent, you were probably less likely to survive in the middle of the woods by yourself. Well, that's kind of the goal of money, 
It's right. to prevent yourself from being uncomfortable from my yeah. <laughs> minimal experience with having $20 <laughs> at one time. And the lack of fear, I, th I think this is something Joe and I talk about, is growing up uh, economically in different tiers, whatever those tiers are, is it, it kind of shapes your your thoughts on whether you fear being having whether you fear having more than enough like i don't have more than enough i fear that or if you can roll with i have just enough or you know what i can make do with and that probably kind of goes with survival is you don't need a ton of CDs. You just need, what, a couple of them? To I live? think I need all ten, honestly. Yeah. Well, it's a six-disc changer, so you don't need more than six. At any one time. See, that is a great point. Right. No, I think, I think that, uh, okay, so I also feel like uh, mentality and disposition play so big of a role. Mm. Um, I haven't been in a lot of survival scenarios, but... I have had definitely instances like I, I, I've like toyed with endurance sports, right? Mm -hmm. Where like what, like long distance cycling and running and stuff like that, where you know your uh, your feedback loop to your body gets really really fast, meaning that like you could be cramping up like crazy and you take like a single sip of electrolytes in in your water bottle and suddenly the cramps subside. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. sometimes I, I do feel like, uh, survival is, uh, in those scenarios is totally uh, two things, just your ability to be uncomfortable and maybe even miserable. And secondly, not have it affect your ultimate decisions. Hmm. And that's why that's I hang around you just for <laughs> thoughts like that. Yeah. The, the feedback loop thing is interesting. It's fascinating. Um, I don't know because I know now, like I, I've actually, I've, I've been I, because of some health issues. I've had to eat. I have to be much more strict on what I eat. So I can't have gluten, and most of the time can't have dairy, and don't eat a lot of sugar. I eat a lot of clean, clean foods, not processed foods. And, and now I know just by looking at something that I just, I don't want to eat that. And if I do, then I know I ate it, um, much, you know, I feel the effects of having eaten it very quickly. Oh, is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that once, when you start tuning a, a certain part of your body, whether it's your digestive system or you know, how your muscle structure or building muscle memory for being able to be a long distance runner or something that, that part of your body that you've been building up is pretty finely tuned, whatever it might be. Yeah. I think it makes you more self-aware, right? Yeah. That's an interesting point though. Like you, you don't think about like in a survival situation necessarily like say, you know, a disaster happens that puts you in a survival situation, no power, no water, whatever. 
your diet at that point changes, right? To some degree, it could be drastic, but it's going to change some. Uh, so preparing for those limited options is, is a thing and kind of like visualizing what your, how your diet, you know, you know, a lot of us, at least these days, like yourself, can't cope with like a huge change. Like you're, you're kind of locked into your routine and, and, you know, your 10 foods that you can eat and, and feel good. But you, in a survival situation, you might not feel good because you have to eat, right. you know, things that are not normal. On the flip side of that too, I, I do feel like if you read the the stories of guys who have been like stranded at sea for, you know, whatever, a month, two months where they get into this mode where they're just like catching fish, mm. but just eating the eyeballs and the kidneys. Yay. Like, like instinctually their bodies just tell them like chuck the rest of the fish because the mm-hmm. eyeballs and kidneys have a bunch of vitamin C and it's going to keep you from getting scurvy. I didn't know any of this. <laughs> Instinctually, <laughs> instinctually. I mean, there are, you know, instinctually. My body loves pork rinds. Oh, pork rinds. <laughs> like instinctually, I know there's something in pork rinds my body needs. And it's I can't imagine any scenario where I'm like, mm, eyeballs. Exactly. I, but it's well documented. If you're desperate, well documented. Nothing in what I've read, and well, I haven't read a lot, but that's I'm 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 glad you're here because I'm glad I'm here too. I do have this theory about stuff like I would never eat. I I don't understand why I would eat an eyeball, but I do have a theory of uh, it it distills to a sentence of we're as picky as we can afford to be. That's Hmm. that's my theory. And it comes from my dissatisfaction with the, the design of chicken. I'm not... I'm not a huge fan of chicken. You eat chicken and there's gristle. You know, you eat a piece of chicken and there's gristle and stuff. And I, I'm not, I don't like it. And I like mm-hmm. the the meat stuff and not chicken. And I, I'm dissatisfied with its What about in overall. nugget form? Nugget form? I'll, I'll, I'm all around that. Yeah. We got. I, I'm with you. I, I'm just not into eating organic. I do not like eating organic well, things. Good thing that ninety percent of all meat tastes like chicken, so sure. you can have your choice. It's true. <laughs> so, so we were, uh, my wife and I were uh, doing volunteer work in an African country, and they gave us chicken. And the first day, I ate big, you know, the big chunky meat, and I'm good. And then construction work, and you know, the next week, chicken day comes around, and. Uh, I do a little different. By week four, I was eating that thing to the nub. I was just like, uh, just Breaking down destroying it. And, Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I mean, I saw myself doing it because I've been me for a while. Even at, <laughs> have you been? Would you say you've been you your whole life? No, no, I wouldn't say that. But for a while, I've That's been me. <laughs> And so, at any point, might you be someone else during I, this conversation? 
I've or changed. Or at least could, could you let us know? I if think you I've been like three else? or four different people. Okay. As since we got just here. growing, <laughs> <laughs> just changed. <laughs> and that's why I hate you. <laughs> no, I, I think that's in the best way possible. So then I come back here, back to uh, uh, here, and I get a piece of chicken. And you know what? You know what I do? Oh, I just want the big pieces. I just want the big chunky white pieces. Uh, mm-hmm. And needs based. Yeah, yeah. I think the adaptation is quick. Hmm. I I think we can survive. I think we could go in, start eating the eyeballs quickly. Um, metaphorically. Not of just a eat those eyeballs. Dig right in. <laughs> Give me a whole bowl of eyeballs, you know. <laughs> you know what I find really interesting about chicken specifically is that if you eat cow, we call it beef. If you eat pig, we call it pork. And you eat chicken, you eat chicken. That's poultry. Nobody says, you know what, I yeah. can really go for some fried poultry. <laughs> True. <laughs> it, yeah, it doesn't roll off the tongue. And I don't know why that is, but culturally, yeah. it's still like a one-to-one on on the the animal that yeah. you're eating. Yeah. So you don't you don't go. Uh, let's. I'd like a cow burger, please. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Medium rare cow burger. Yeah. I think chicken is the plank scale of meat. Plank, plank. scale. What does plank scale mean? Oh. Explain. No. <laughs> like 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 the bare like the absolute. Baseline of Plank meat? scale is uh, a physics, uh, quantum physics term for the inch or the millimeter of, I'm going to shut up now. Measurement? Yes. It's by what everything else is measured. Yes. Gotcha. Like a base measurement. Yeah, I'm going to dial my nerd back. Just no, 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 no. Let it fly, man. Yeah. No, please. Nerd away. But I have seen those, um, to what Christopher was saying, like, I have seen those preconceptions and those niceties kind of fade away. Mm-hmm. You know, when if you get hungry enough, even if you're not really even hungry enough, if you just get hungry, yeah, it's like, man, the stupidest thing will make your mouth water. You know, I remember like eyeballs. We we did a little yeah. uh, when I was twenty years old. Me and my my best buddy at the time did a like a tour of the Rockies and we backpacked from the Canadian border glacier national park all the way back down to you did this. You, you yeah. should have led with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I buried the lead a little bit. I apologize. Um, you sandbagging over here, but, uh, <laughs> this actually was one of the times where I was a little bit like it had, we had the technology to record a video. I would have mm. left a video for my family members. This is just one of the times. Um, the one of one that I spoke of earlier. Um, but yeah, I, so, you know, you're thirsty, right? And you're out of water and we come up to this like trickle, it's disgusting, stagnated puddle of water. What year is this? Uh, 2005, 2004, somewhere in there. And all you want to do is filter it and put it in your water bottle and mm. drink it. And then, like, half a mile later, there's, like, a crystal clear rushing waterfall with, like, deer <laughs> standing by it. And it's like, we probably should have held out till now. But, you know, we're drinking swamp water. 
Um, but that, I mean, it was like, no, we're stopping right here and we're filling our water bottles, algae and everything. Um, yeah, I think we, our, our meals were like MREs, like military MREs about, you know, they're like 10,000 calorie gut bombs. But when you're done with a long hike, it's like, man, I can't wait to eat this chemically heated chicken enchilada that (laughs) Navy SEALs. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Poultry enchilada meat with two E's. (laughs) So yeah, it's interesting. It does happen fast though. Because I yeah, think, I frankly, think so. like day to day, we're we're kind of, it's like I'm hungry, just impulsively. Mm-hmm. What I have so many options. What am I hungry for? Yeah, yeah, that's true. My wife has mentioned that the one of the first things to go, um, in those situation is in the the under uh, the concept of inconvenience. Mm. That inconvenience ceases to be a thing when uh, when things go truly pear-shaped or Mm. when when you're out in the in the in the thick of it Mm -hmm. i can see that i i still don't think i fully comprehend the full grok of that that's a good word he doesn't grok grok is a good it's a good word yeah I've seen other things happen too. Um, we, we, my wife and I, right after we got married, spent time like in a third world island country. And I've never ever been like a sweets guy. Like there's sweets? like sugar, but it's just it dessert for me is wine and cheese and crackers. Um, Savory things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's so little sugar in the diets in those countries that mm. to, mm-hmm. to just, and I, I've never been like a, a soda guy either, but just to right. chug like a proper Coca-Cola, just chock full of sugar. I'd never do on the mainland. Never. But after about three days, it's like, man, I just need some fructose in my system. And this is besides, you know, taking it in an IV form. This is the fastest way for me to get it. Hmm. Me, it was Slim Jims. <laughs> Beef jerky. <laughs> Cow jerky. I had like Slim Jims shipped to me. <laughs> oh, yeah? To, uh... You have like an Amazon subscription? No, I, we were in, uh, uh, Zambia. Oh, My oh. parents shipped me Slim Jims. Nope. That's awesome. No Prime Day in Zambia. <laughs> I was like, I couldn't just process meat. Hey, so have you guys have you guys read since we're in Oregon? Not to raise the veil on where this is being recorded. Have you guys read the story of how Astoria was founded? No, no, a little bit with uh, well, not how it was founded, but the the dudes going. Yeah, I know they like were going up the down the Columbia. Are we talking Lewis and Clark or somebody yeah. else? So it's just after Lewis and Clark. Oh, okay. So oh. I'll, I'll try. I'll try to cliff note it. Um, but there's a really good book written about it. Um, but you know, basically, John Jacob Astor and Thomas Jefferson went on on a joint venture to the Thomas Jefferson. The Thomas Jefferson went on a joint venture to create the first settlement of the West Coast to mimic New York. And this was at the time where like beaver pelts were gold, right? right. They they were the currency of the day. 
But their solution to do this was to send an overland party roughly following the, the Lewis and Clark Trail and an overseas party that had to go all the way around South America to meet the overland party. Wow. And so when I think about like, you know, we, we look at wilderness survival today as like these one-offs, like the Aaron Rostens that get pinned to a rock and have to saw his own ar- arm off and things like that. But this was like 40 or 50 people that just signed like, oh, wow. we're, we're going to embark on this journey and, and try to form the New York of the West Coast. And, um, well, it's not like anybody ever really just went on camping trips or, you know, wilderness stuff for, for fun back for then. Fun. You know, the, <laughs> right. There was no necessity. REI. Yeah. So it, I, I found, I, I think that story is really interesting. I think anecdotally, I think it was just a different time. Like maybe people's ambitions were different or, or whatever, but, um, it was probably motivated by, you know, potential, Wealth and grandeur, you know, maybe, and, and yeah, and, and fame, yeah, fame, yeah, yeah. But it's in, what's really interesting about the story is that the overseas party fared much, much better, mostly because they could restock at multiple ports and mm. like replenish. Nobody died in the overseas party until they were trying to row a rowboat over the Columbia Bar, which guys they're there, yeah, and then well, then they die. Well. Yeah, the Columbia, I mean, that is like... Yeah, guys in 30 foot... I think it's three, jet. the third most dangerous transition or uh, whatever uh, yeah, inlet yeah. in the world. What about going around the tip of South America? Isn't that, isn't that super dangerous? It's dangerous. It gets cold, but they made like... I guess the trade winds were in their favor, and they made like a pretty much a straight shot to Hawaii to restock re, uh, their ships. Wow. So nobody died till they hit the, the Columbia Bar. Which, by the way, I mean, going over the Columbia Bar in a rowboat has got to be the most scary thing of all time. Um, the problem with the overland party uh, was just the hostility mm. of of going through that country. And also, I think the psychology. I mean, they knew so little. When they finally got over the Rockies, they thought the Pacific was going to be on the other side. Right. Little did they know they had, like, another thousand miles and two mountain ranges to get over. Right. And, you know, Blackfeet Indian and hostile natives. So the interesting thing about the, not to call out the Blackfeet specifically. Yeah, what do you have against I have nothing against the Blackfeet. (laughs) Um, But uh, so there's a town in Oregon called John Day. Mm -hmm. And he was a guy on that trip. And literally the, the constant fear of sitting around the campfire at night and just an arrow flying out of the woods made the guy lose his mind. And he lost his mind in what today is John Day, Oregon. Wow. What, what does that mean? No, I don't mean specifically. I but think that today we would care. I mean specifically. Yeah. I, well, I mean, the, <laughs> the book goes into great detail. I mean, he, he basically was like stark raving mad running around naked. So he stripped off his clothes or yeah. like the dude just split? Could have been a strategy. I mean, I wasn't there, so I, no. I mean, based on yeah, what yeah, you like understand. he he was just saying nonsensical words and running around and just had a break. Yeah. Well, well, think about it. What Indian is really going to want to kill him at that point? They're just going to feel sorry for him, right? So, yeah, pretty Native good American. at survival. It's a good defense mechanism. You yeah. know, that's a huge part of being out in weird places is fear. Mm. 
I mean, you have the, the physical feedback of, man, I'm thirsty. Or, man, I'm going to have to, like, eat a squirrel or something that I'm not comfortable eating. But the fear is something I don't... That's probably the most difficult part is... Mm. I, I think inside of all Norte Americanas is we think we could... It's Spanish for North America. Thank you. <laughs> is we think we can, especially being a, a male, we think we, you know what, I could probably figure it out. You know, I have the... the overconfidence. Yeah, the overconfidence that kind of gets us through some of the minutia. But I, I think the fear would probably be, that's something I've not really experienced much. I suspect that would be the big biggest part about because in reading about uh, Lewis and Clark going down the or yeah down the Columbia, just the fear, and they were just starving because they did not eat salmon. Right, they fed it to their dogs. They ate their horses and their dogs. Yes, after they fed them salmon. Being, I just took up fishing recently, and huh. so I I'm, didn't realize that. I'm learning that they were starving. They were eating shoes did they not realize that salmon were tasty no they had salmon they just they didn't understand the word garlic not only did they (laughs) yeah Yeah. i'm I'm sick of this fish but this dog sounds good right now that's just it's crazy i would i would love to know that kind of that kind of rails against our you know your your pickiness goes out the window in a survival situation. Not for them. Not for Man. them. If apparently. you read their stuff, <laughs> uh, they were like, yeah, we're, we ain't eating this anymore. We're eating our shoes, literally. We're eating our horses. We're eating our dogs. They were feeding salmon to their horses? No, to their dogs. Yeah, that's, that was their dog food. Their- I imagine horses wouldn't, wouldn't really approve. Yeah, and this is li- uh, like at the Columbia River Gorge, yeah. which... Paul like, does. Paul's like, what? I've been there. It's right like this there. trusty, this trusty animal brought yeah. me twenty five hundred miles. But I don't want to eat, eat salmon. <laughs> it's that is strange. That does really fly in the face of it does because salmon are like chock full of healthy, all kinds of healthy stuff. Yeah, and you're probably yeah. and back then you're not going to get all the drawbacks that we have today, like mercury and right. You know, being in the Columbia. <laughs> they just haven't had a perfectly, you know, sous vide and pan crisped fillet of salmon. <laughs> How many syllables in crisped? Cris- crisped. Only two. Maybe one. With my southern draw, crisped. I might have snuck in another one there. <laughs> wow. To be so picky that you didn't want salmon. That's. I mean, in it, a survival situation. Right, like I can, I can. Yeah, they were know, starving. If you, if you they don't were, like fish like, and you go to a bones. restaurant, you'll get the burger instead of the salmon. I Cow assume. burger, right? What's interesting though is the, the 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 crew, the overseas crew from the Astoria expedition, uh, loved them. They couldn't figure out how to catch them, so they had to trade with the Chinook tribes for salmon. Because the only mm-hmm. thing they really brought was like these heavily salted like. I don't even know how they stored it for so long. It had to be disgusting, but it was like fat back or, you know, sure. heavily salted meats. And Barrels it, full of salt. Yeah. Probably. And they, uh, 
yeah, the, the salmon is what kept them from getting like scurvy and all kinds of other things. So how did they know they liked it if they didn't know how to catch it? Well, I guess it got introduced to them by the tribes. Well, they uh, probably catch once in a while. Yeah, maybe so. But hmm. yeah, they, that that group, maybe Lewis and Clark just had very particular palates. Yeah, clearly. And they well, liked they horse. were kind of city people. <laughs> That's true. They were pretty muckety mucks. I mean, they, these were up and comers from the little bit that I know. It was not an organic type of. Uh, uh, I wonder if it was a pride thing then, like, you know, the Indian that I don't respect eat this, mm. so I'm not. Mm, I'll feed it to my dogs. I don't know. I'm just guessing, but if you, if they were what you you know, muckety mucks like you say, could that's potential. Possibly. Uh, I don't want to stoop to that level. I want my. Lobster Florentine, or no, humidor? No, that's a cigar thing. Lobster. <laughs> Ooh. Pa- Pomodoro? Yeah, I don't know. I'm flailing. Like a lobster? Like a lobster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you started well strong, though. I know. I, I, it, was, it was excellent up to that point. I'll, I'll do some Googling and report back. You could do some real-time follow-up if you want. That, that is allowed. So, Paul... Yes. Have you ever been afraid for your life other than being sick? In a wilderness situation? Yeah, like in a survival Actually, situation. Actually, can we back up just a second? Sure. I don't mean to interrupt, but he ha- Paul had some uh, current experience with feeling like you're going to die, including currently. Have you ever felt like that? Did you feel like you were going to die? I it was it was one of those things where you're feeling bad enough and you're delirious enough where you're not really thinking straight and you're thinking you know what this actually this could be it this could be it See that's you know? legit <laughs> it doesn't matter whether it's dehydration or tuberculosis or something that's whatever yeah it's how you deal with that i think is kind of the definition of survival not whether you know how to gut a raccoon. I mean, technically, we we eat three meals a day usually, and probably some snacks in between. Technically, that is surviving. We're just we just have easy access to that. So, technically, we're keeping ourselves alive every day automatically. And if we stop doing that because of some mental disorder, we would die. Um. But if you're out in the out in the wilderness and you don't have the resources or the knowledge or skills to, you know, keep your body going, that's it's kind of a different story, I guess. Um, and and also just the fact that you feel like you're you're gonna die or life is in danger doesn't necessarily even mean that that's true, right? It doesn't mean that that's actually what's happening. But fear can cause you to take a turn and make some bad decisions that do put your life in danger, even though it might not have been to begin right. with. That's true. Yeah. So how, how long do you think the concept, and I don't know the answer to this question, how long has the concept of three meals a day been around? That's a good question. I don't know. I'm going to Google it because that is a great, great question. Because my presumption is, is that 
unless you were like a muckety muck or an upper cruster or royalty. I don't, it is cultural. I know. Here we go. Three meals a day is a South Korean reality cooking show. Oh. That clears it up right there. No further <laughs> questions answered. Yeah. Done. No, no further research needed. <laughs> because, I mean, if my nine year old daughter misses a meal, it's a catastrophe. Mm. Like, I think she sees her life force slipping away. Yeah. I, I feel like the three meals a day thing has been forced upon us. And I don't, I, I don't subscribe to it. Like I'm more of a two, I'm a sometimes two. one. Oh yeah, meal a day guy. So you're, su- I, I'm you're surviving every I'm day. I'm sneaking up on two. Yeah, I really am. Sneaking up from three or from yeah, one? from three. From three. Oh yeah, I come from Americana. Three meals a day, boiled meat. <laughs> boiled meat. That sounds Irish, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Yeah, I'm with you. I, I kind of started skipping. I, what I did was delayed breakfast closer to lunch. Mm. And uh, I like it way better. Uh, but yeah, I, I tend to agree, man. I, I watch the eating habits of like my parents' generation. And it's amazing what... Boomers, right? Yeah. What what I my perception is is what they've trained their bodies to do. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, eggs and bacon and pancakes and a full glass of orange juice and milk at eight a.m. Eleven o'clock. I need a glass of milk. Exactly. We, my brother and I, go over to my parents' house now, and my dad pours a big old glass of milk. Is that a cultural thing? It. I we grew up that way. Generation. Because my dad's the same way. My both uh, my brother and I we. Dr- Grew up, we blew through a gallon of milk every single day in my house w- wow. with three boys, and by by the time we were fifteen or something, we're like both him and I were like we can't do this milk thing. Yeah. It just like <laughs> destroys our physicality, and my dad is still in there. He's still yeah. fighting it, and he he follows that up like a half an hour later with a. Big old glass, even still, big glass of orange juice. Just a big cup that of seems, sugar. And that seems it's a creamsicle. Like it really yeah, is not, not. the orange Julius. They That's still so haven't straight. quite figured out why his diabetes is not working. <laughs> I'm legit serious. Huh. I'm not oh, sure wow. why diabetes. I don't eat much candy. Oh, man. I remember coming in from like, I mean, this was back when you actually used to like play. You know, there was no you know, tech to distract you. So I would come in like sweaty. I mean, I was such a kid's kid, man, boy's boy. I'd come in sweaty and kind of maybe a little bloody somewhere. Just like hot and dehydrated. And my mom would be like, here's a nice glass of milk. (laughs) 2%. Yep. For your health. Yep. Tastes like water. Whole milk. Why not not whole milk? I remember the first time I had whole milk. We were eating at a Shoney's. Do you guys have Shoney's up here? That does not sound familiar. It's Shoney's is a, 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 a southern thing. Yeah, yeah, I grew up in the south. I would I would compare it closely to like Sherry's. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's like a family so style restaurant. We were super classy. Lunch and dinner. High class. Very yeah. classy. And I was like, I just want a glass of milk, and they brought me whole milk, and it was like my it eyes to the glass. <laughs> my eyes were open. I'm like, you mean you can have a milkshake that isn't 
actually like doesn't have ice in it. Like I, it, I thought I was like being f- like fooled or punked or something. So uh, yeah, it's that, I I grew up going to North Carolina every year because my grandparents lived down there. We would stop at Shoney's along the way. Where at? Like uh, in Raleigh. Okay, cool. So we would, you know, stay stay overnight in Virginia, get back on the road because I grew up in the Northeast, and and we, and then we would um, hit a Shoney's, and I liked Shoney's for breakfast because they had the breakfast like the buffet. Buffet. Yeah, man. Yes. And all that bacon just sitting in this giant steaming vat. So good. And just like is like you I ate scrambled eggs and they had the uh like the eighties nacho cheese, but for eggs. Yes. Yep. So good. Like kind of Velveeta like? Yeah. 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 That's why diabetes runs strong in the family. <laughs> so far not in me. That's good. Yeah. I got out early. <laughs> I think Velveeta is just a chemical construct. It is. That is made to resemble cheese. I think there's a, I think it's derived from cheese somewhere somewhere along its origin story. Yeah. You'll find a cow. It yeah, was, it wasn't just inspiration. If you try to make like a Velveeta consistency out of like a block of Tillamook, it doesn't work. Oh no. No. No, no. Cuz no. there's actually like real fats and proteins yeah. and stuff. What were you sick? Or like flu or? I was like a cold. I still have like a terrible sore throat. It's amazing that I've been able to keep going this long. How long have you been going? Oh, I mean on the podcast, like oh. talking out loud. <laughs> I've been muting myself a lot too to cough. So hmm. I remember when I was young, my grandma had me gargle salt water, mm. and it took I mean, yeah. the pain away like for immediately like. Yeah. yeah, immediately for almost a half hour. Yeah, I've been using Listerine actually. Listerine, Ooh. yeah, really? potent, potent, Is it stuff. potent. Yeah, that's not that's not the intended use of Listerine. Uh, what? No, is the that's intended well, use? it's dental. Dental, you know, kill the bad stuff in your mouth. Right, but I mean, not like soothing throat pain, right? No, but it does work. Oh. After causing some. <laughs> <laughs> Here, let's make it hurt some, way worse and it then distracts it you from the uh yeah that's like the big brother strategy of oh your hand hurts and then steps on your toe yeah well this yeah, hurts exactly. worse forgot all about your hand <laughs> I don't know. by the way it was a lobster thermidor oh here we go oh real-time follow-up RTF. lobster thermos got it Therm- yeah, thermos. It's a French dis- dish consisting of creamy mixture of cooked lobster meat, egg yolks, and brandy, often cognac, stuffed back into the y- lobster shell and, and baked with a cheese crust. That actually sounds fantastic. Yeah, that's I what I'm, if I'm starving in the wilderness, that's what I'm going to crave. It sounds just kind of disrespectful to the lobster, you know. I'm gonna I'm gonna take you your insides out, but we're, then we're gonna put them back when they're better. But improved, <laughs> improved. So, so Paul, non-functional. Where, where but are you from, tasting. Paul? I live in New York. Where are you from, Paul? <laughs> I'm from. Uh, so I was born in Vermont, and I grew up in Connecticut. So you're East Coasty. Yeah. Uh. 
I'm from Oregonish area, and something I've never done is really eaten a lot of uh, neighborhood game. To put neighborhood it. game like like deer, venison, squirrels. Ah, neighborhood, true neighborhood game. Neighborhood and local fair. Joe in our uh, efforts seemingly to enrich ne- never ending friendship. Like it just won't won't stop. It won't stop. Has introduced me to eating neighborhood game. Well, first of all, it's not neighborhood game. They are wild game. They're just a neighborhood moved into their habitat. Wow. Let's be Very clear specific. on that. They're not in your backyard. You're no, in their they front were yard. literally in my backyard. And they're thinking, why is this guy in my front yard? So Proceed. he's introduced me into eating uh, animals that exist in my backyard, which I found very uncomfortable. Understandably, I. I, I so mean, have, are you? You've actually done this. You've actually eaten a squirrel. Yeah, we popped one. Actually, we popped one yesterday or the day before. Yeah. So there's a backstory here. My great grandfather was a sharecropper in the southeast which sharecropper is just a fancy word for slave he was basically you know worked for a landowner but he was very particular he loved squirrel loved it and they they were super super poor i mean really we don't even comprehend how poor he would catch a possum and you know grain feed it for three weeks and then eat it oh dear like like you, this is like next level stuff so I had had squirrel when I was a, a kid. Isn't that like um, foie gras, but like super? Yeah, exactly. He <laughs> gaspaged a possum. <laughs> what was that word? That's the the process in which they oh feed goose the, geese, the fo- making foie gras. Yeah, yeah. It's, it like they pretty much max out their livers by just like stuffing them full of of grain. This is wow, disgusting process. So I didn't. I never thought of doing that to a possum. Nor would I ever. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's funny. Squirrel or goose, for that matter. I mean, come on. I mean, we we have such a disconnect between like our food and where it comes from. But like squirrel yeah. legs, I swear, if I like put hot sauce on them, somebody would be like, "These are the best buffalo chicken wings I've had in a long time." Um, Interesting. Maybe not the best. I think I'm going to just take your word on it. That's fine. Okay. There's there's no judgment here. Okay. I understand why some people were, would be squeamish about it. But I also think that... Um, we're not used to killing our own game. And, no. Yeah. And honestly, it's something that uh, I've lived... Um, we I've lived in the Northwest for four years now. And I find it really interesting that everybody is like, I want to get closer to my food. And, right. and farm to table or whatever. Yeah, it's like farm right. to table, seed to table, whatever, you know. Um, but the thought of actually going out and getting your own food kind of exists only in the realm of those crazy hunter guys. And I've really mm-hmm. gotten interested in, at first it was fishing, kind of got really interested in fishing. And um, it was cool just to be able to go out to a local river and bring home dinner. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, how closer can you get? Right. 
And now it's kind of starting to extend into hunting, even though I wouldn't characterize myself as a guy who really wants to get up early and put on camo and go on a hard hike with a gun. That's not it at all. It's just the visceral experience of being able to say, like, I just packed our freezer full of whatever. Squirrels. Turkey. I'm not squirrel is not my target game animal. Let's just be clear here. I wanted to prove that it could be food, which it is. But no, I I, I think there's some interest there for for me on that. You know, to be able to actually live off the land. I I think what we've learned in this whole thing is that we all need to go to Joe's house when yeah. the, the disaster strikes. Well, I do have yeah. a plethora of squirrel in my backyard. Oh, okay, and a BB gun, which apparently is all you need for a squirrel. It's an efficient method. It's a killing machine. I would be really interested. My wife asked me the other day if Joe goes. Ooh, I shouldn't use that a tone. If Joe goes <laughs> turkeys, careful now. Hunting, are you going to do it? Is she going to listen to this? Oh, I'm sure she is. <laughs> yep. Will she appreciate that? We'll find out. <laughs> I love her very much. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I said, I don't know. I don't know if I'd go turkey hunting. I mean, I don't mind. I mean, I'm an American. I'll shoot anything. But <laughs> I don't want to hurt things. Like, no, intrinsically, right. I don't want to hurt things. Right. So there's this awesome uh, podcast called Meat Eater. Not a sponsor, I'm assuming. <laughs> um, and, we, we, sponsor? What's yeah. that? <laughs> but the, the, guy, the guy's name is Steve Rinella, and I would characterize him as a mix between, like, Anthony Bourdain and Jack London. Like he is kind of He's legit, the, then. he is the, I would say the conduit in which it, it makes like hunting and cooking wild game approachable. But, uh, recently on, a, on one of his podcasts, he had his brother on and he said, um, I enjoy hunting from the time I kill the animal. And then I stop enjoying hunting until the time that I'm able to consume it. So basically, like, the processing part of it, he doesn't enjoy. But he also said that, like, when people are like, oh, you got a turkey. Well, what'd you shoot it with? He's like, that's an indication that we're two different kinds of hunters. Hmm. Because he's like, I shot it with whatever instrument I needed to, in order to slow it down long enough that it could become a meal. It's like, uh, you know, I'm not going to be like, ah, full bore, 20 gauge. I'm, I have no idea what I'm saying right now. I'm just saying right. gun terms. But I feel like those are... Insert gun terms here. Yeah, I feel like there are, stereot- there are definitely stereotypes within these kind of subcultures. But he's definitely more of my kind where it's like, I'm going out to fill my freezer. So mm-hmm. he's more of the Asperger hunter. He's probably on the spectrum with, with you and I. Yes. <laughs> I get that though. Like I, I don't think I'd enjoy the process. It's just a me. It would just be a means to an end. Yeah. I got, uh, yeah, I got to tell you, I do not understand that until Joe started taking me fishing and, uh, we pulled in some salmon. Fishing is different than hunting. though. It's an animal. Yeah. And, uh, to be honest, I'm not really 
awesome excited about killing a fish no but i gotta tell you pulling out a, a slab of of salmon which we did the other night my goodness i i I'm actually understanding it, and I think it kind of brings me, even when we ate the other night, we were talking about uh, Lewis and Clark and a book that Tamara and I read, or my wife and I read, that about uh, eating salmon. And it was, I think it was kind of profound, is that I went out, did did an activity, and I have you know, a dozen meals for my family. And it was non-substandard. I mean, it was, it was good. Right. It was something above and beyond. I, I really don't ever see myself killing. Well, I'll get you there. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but I, you know, I mean, prepare I, I for see. The, prepare for the worst. Prepare for survival. Now, we, we had a, uh, we're doing, we live in like the most suburban of suburban neighborhoods ever, but we were able to kind of construct this little like co-op urban garden hmm. that's non, I, I would say bigger than a hobby garden, smaller than an urban farm. Wow. That's specific. Okay. So there, it's like, there's <laughs> enough, there's some plant life. I mean, there it's a significant amount of plant life. Is that not the definition of a garden? What else would be there? Uh, I'm I'm trying to scope the size of it. Okay. Um, but you know, like last night, I went out just kind of like check on things, and two things pop into my mind. Every once in a while, you get like a tomato plant that starts getting spots on it, and you're like, I have no idea what's going on with this. This plant's dying, and I don't know why. And I'm so glad I'm not relying on this for my survival. Mm. Full circle on topic. Nice. Um, nice tie-in. But then secondarily, how satisfying it is, just like pulling the salmon out of the freezer that you caught, just to pull a grape tomato off that's full-on ripe and pop it in your mouth and eat it. Absolutely. It's like I've been doctoring this thing and taking care of it and nurturing it, and now I get to like enjoy the benefits. So there's something like visceral about like what we call survival that I think actually is just like subsistence, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I was trying to say earlier about, you know, we eat every day. You know, we're subsisting, but the situation changes or can change, um, you know, depending on, you know, where we are, what's happening around us. Yeah. But that's a good way to put it. Hmm. almost feel like fishing. Well, not fishing, because fishing is a different. I fish often, but I catch rarely <laughs> that's also but, called salmon fishing in the northwest <laughs> but the catching is kind of a min max to bring a, a video game terminology a min max where you have the minimum amount of effort for the maximum amount of value mm -hmm. there's not yeah there's not a lot of slaving with fishing mm. it, it can be a uh, it it can be a very torturous. It's more about the waiting, right? It's kind of hard to. Uh, you're not. You're. You're not. It's you're not, two different it, things. You're not getting sweaty fishing unless you're baking in the sun. Like it's two different things. There's fishing, fishing and there's catching. Catching is well. Are you talking about like getting there and getting set up? But once you're actually fishing, it's not a lot of work. So physically. 
I would say if you were going to like a stocked pond, that's true. If you are fishing like the coastal rivers and tributaries for salmon and steelhead, there is a tremendous amount of output. And, and to spe- get in position, right? Yeah, and then also to keep in position, it's it's a fairly physically demanding uh, activity. And also, my my style, my my theory is is that if you can hike a mile, you can eliminate about eighty five percent of other fishermen because they want to sit in the back of their truck and oh, cast yeah. into the river. So yeah. we hike about two miles, and then. Not that it helps us catching anything, but right. I guess my point though it. is that the actual fishing part of it, the ca- the act of casting, yeah, and like once you're in position and you got everything, you got everything you need. That part of it's not physically. That, that would be accurate. Yeah, that would be accurate. Yeah. The the actual getting out the door and everything between that and and the point where you're catching is where all the labor is. Yeah, totally so sweet when you pull one in oh yeah uh paul you are you a fisherman i i have been fishing (laughs) at times the last time i went fishing was like maybe two years ago we used to live across from a lake and you could just walk out across the street onto the dock i was there yes yeah you were there yep where is this in uh in monroe new york um they call they call monroe the the city of lakes because there's a body of water just about everywhere you go. Is that like Finger Lakes region or? No, no, this is down. It's like about an hour and a half north of New York City. Mm. H- Hudson Valley, right? Gotcha. Yeah. And that's still Hudson mm-hmm. Valley. Yeah. Yep. I used to, I used to fish a lot when I was younger at a lot. I mean, because there's one thing about fishing is that you need time to do it. Yeah. Um, mm. From my perspective, you know, it's not, it's the value in it. Catching is exciting. I I think the one time I caught a fish big enough to eat was when we were up in Maine. I was up in Maine with some friends, and and we were just fishing off the uh, off the uh, off the beach, catching striped bass. Mm-hmm. And I've never actually caught a freshwater fish that I could eat, but I could say that having your uh, having your fish pre salted. By where it lives is pretty nice. Saltwater yeah. fish. Uh mm. it's already it's already kinda has has this little bit of a salty taste to it. It's kinda interesting. It's good. But yeah, uh I I haven't I, the last time I went two years ago, didn't catch a thing, and I don't know that anything I would have caught I would have been able to eat anyway. But there's so many days that, that I'm out there um especially in like fall and winter, which are, are kind of the prime seasons out here. I'm just so happy that it's not my only source of food <laughs> because I could just imagine just the look of disappointment on my family's face. You know, if we didn't have a fridge full. Actually, isn't your wife quite communicative about saying you caught nothing? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So in fact, we just bought, this. we just bought fish, Ooh. which was a big shot across the bow for me because it was like hashtag fail. Yep. <laughs> I've, I've had a little bit of a cold streak. So this is an ongoing thing for you. Like you, you bring in fish to the house 
on a regular basis. There was a time. <laughs> there was a time that that was true. Or you true. attempt to do so on a regular basis. I there was say. a time that street market value we had about like eight hundred bucks worth of salmon in the freezer, and wow. that was the. And I assumed that that was going. That trend was going to continue, and I was very wrong. But we've had a very poor like year of fishing in general in the Northwest. But, uh, but yeah, I'm hoping it turns around this fall. We'll see what happens. So dis- disaster strikes in the area. Your, I assume that your fishing pole is one of the, one of your, your Ab- go-to items. Absolutely. Yeah. See, I've never thought about that as my, let's say we have an earthquake or something in wherever we live in undisclosed state in the <laughs> I'm not that secretive Pacific Northwest just below Washington and above California. <laughs> whoa, whoa. I wasn't prepared for this level of specificity. I it is pretty empowering. Empowering? I don't I don't like that word. Uh anti fear. Anti fear that we could catch something we could catch something, my wife and I, and eat protein because you got to have like a lot of land to be able to grow stuff. And even out like uh, you're out in the woods, you have a lot of searching around to find nuts and berries. Mm-hmm. But protein is such a uh, an efficient way of living. I know my body, I, I'm not good with sugars myself. Protein is kind of what I survive on. I've never thought about that as my fishing pole as a way to get by on that when when disaster happens because it's going to happen everywhere. Yeah, at some yeah. point. I mean, I think that too. We're we're going after like salmon and steelhead are the apex the apex of in uh, the most difficult to catch. If I had to go find some fish, I'm pretty confident I could do it and. I feel like yeah, you read a lot about like rabbit starvation, which is like you can't gather enough calories to counteract the ones that you burn. Mm. I do feel like we live in an area particularly that you could you could stem that off pretty easily. Yeah, that's that's specific to rabbits. No. Not having enough fat in it. Well, that's right? what they call it. Like, if you look up uh, the guy that, uh, Robert McCandless, the guy that, uh, like, lived on that bus in Alaska for six months, he was suffering from rabbit starvation because he was foraging. Mm. But what he was foraging didn't counteract the calories that he was burning. He was basically mm. slowly starving to death. But he had no, he had no method to get protein. There was a movie about that, right? Yeah, into the into the wild. Yeah. So is it protein yeah. or is it fat? Probably both. Oh. Although wild game has very little fat in it. Yeah. Very lean meats. <laughs> I have very much fats in me. But your calories are going to come from. I mean, the fat is more dense with yeah. calories. But. Yeah. And your body can burn fat mm-hmm. uh, as fuel. You know, you can train it to do that. Um, I think that's where our brain works on. Yeah. It's like the motor oil for your brain. At least my brain. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it's interesting that in the 
uh, Mountain Men era were those guys, which was a relatively short time. I, I think we think it was longer than it was. It was only like 70, 80 years. But those guys that were trading beaver pelts um, were eating nothing but wild game, which is so lean in fats. They had all the protein that they wanted, but it was so lean in fats that the guys trapping beavers would take the beaver tail, which just imagine like the worst gristle on a steak ever and just cook it over the campfire and like eat it like a popsicle because they just needed like some kind of fat. How did you know that though? How do you, you're eating meat in, in the woods and you're like, wow, I just feel like I need some beaver tail, beaver tail. (laughs) How, how How do you know it's going to work? How is the, feedback on that i think that i think it started like i just skinned this beaver and this thing feels really fatty and i'm i'm gonna put it over the fire and see what happens and i mean if you've ever smelled burning fat off a steak on a grill kind of calls you to it yeah that's true especially if you're starving yeah but they're eating meat they have lots of food yeah so what have you guys done to prepare for the, the inevitable? Good question. Anything? We have a, a go bag, right? You know, it's like if something disaster strikes, have something that's ready to pick up and go with no preparation. Um, what kind of stuff you got in there? Uh, we don't have everything we need. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Work in progress. Uh, yeah. One thing that we don't really have right now is we don't have enough water for two people for three days, which is the recommended amount of water. The number three again. There's the number three. It all comes back to three. Um, And you're supposed to have some like ready to eat non-perishable food. So not like dehydrated stuff. Mm. Like it's supposed to be, you know, whether it's a dense uh, protein bar Stuff like that. I don't know. Seal, uh, vacuum sealed nuts. High calorie foods are good for that. Right. Which relates back to the beaver tail. Yeah. Right. I've, I've actually got a vacuum sealed beaver tail in my go bag. You do not. No. Uh, <laughs> but you wish you did, though. I do now. <laughs> um, no, we have, uh, so there's three of us. We have three separate go bags. That, that have varying degrees of preparedness in them. But, but it's definitely like specific to the person. I have the one that has the proper amount of water in it, which is going to weigh like 90 pounds or something. It's, but, uh, but yeah, I, I would put our preparedness as like a B plus right now. Mm. We just audited our go bags. We got one each and, um, we have enough for, two-ish days uh, but we audited it and interestingly it was my wife updated hers with a small bottle of scotch <laughs> mm, smart and we have uh, a friend who has chocolate in hers chocolate bar that's just <laughs> unnecessary weight let's take uh, up scotch <laughs> weight uh, I, I don't think that person would agree. <laughs> yeah, they they they're I guess that they're uh, le- leaning more heavily on on chocolate than they are on 
alcohol. <laughs> it's probably a healthier choice when you're starving. Sure. I guess so, yeah. Probably. Maybe not mentally. Yeah. Like for your mental health, you know, maybe a good a good shot of scotch could do wonders for for you in the dark, uh, rainy night. You know, getting prepared to set a bone or something, maybe. Oh yeah. Or a wake sterilize up. the wound, in fact. Yeah, or that. <laughs> Hang yeah. nails. Hang nails. Chopping wood. Slivers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, I uh I don't think we have a lot of creature comforts in ours. My my wife put them together and she's very uh organized and needs oriented. What about like uh radio, flashlight, that kind of stuff? You all have that? Uh, yeah, we do. Yeah. We have the crank. Yeah. Yep. Matches. Yeah. Cuz fire. We got these cool uh I think they're Swedish. I forgot what the brand name is. They're not a sponsor, but they, uh, they're like the, the asterisk. Nothing is a sponsor. <laughs> Hashtag nothing is a sponsor, but they, uh, but they're, they're like the, the, the fire starters. You flake off like magnesium. Oh flakes. yeah. I love those. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I just start fires in my solo stove with those. With just those. To, yeah. Just to make sure I I've bought three of those things over the past a handful of years I've been alive and they are all uh, as the Chinese say dongxi they're all garbage (laughs) they're all garbage you're just not using it right it is not I've never started a fire with those stupid magnesium things you've got it to spark though sure you're not just like lighting the end of it with a lighter are you no you've got to have like some some really light Dry, dry soup. material that like yeah. even more more light and dry than paper. So, how expensive is a is class a with me on a how to lighter. start a fire? <laughs> Lighters are cheap. Yeah, yeah. Why do you have like a magnesium? I could do this. I could just light a. You lighter. get like a twelve pack of lighters for like eight bucks or something. Yeah, right? I'm pretty sure this Swedish fire starter was like twenty five dollars. But yeah. it, but it makes it more difficult for me, and there's a sick part of me that enjoys that. Also, it it looks way cooler. It does, yeah. and you feel more satisfied, right? I like walking up and like stand aside, kids. I'll have this done in 25 minutes. Yeah, that's some, <laughs> that's something Joe and I talk about uh, on um, uh, going out and fishing or or just doing stuff outside is the enjoyment of the struggle that's gonna fade in a in a survival situation real quick yeah for sure (laughs) i'm so glad i'm out here struggling fighting for my life it's great it does cathartic it does seem that a particular amount of the population at some time or another has that desire Mm. and it could just because um i live where i live have that desire to struggle or yeah totally and drive a subaru to to where we're going to go struggle in an organized manner. I do I do find that I'm fascinated with how long I can be uncomfortable and how long I can struggle and then I want to get back in my truck and turn on the heated seats <laughs> and go have a nice nice lunch. But for those 3 hours I really like Rebel. struggling. Really like struggling. A little taste of struggle. Yeah. 
So we had a we had a day this year. Speaking of, of struggling, I think the air temperature was like maybe thirty. It was one of those few times where you got below freezing here in the the, the PNW. But the river temperature, I mean, the river was like just two degrees from being a, an ice mass. But it was literally like our rods and reels were freezing up. Mm. We were slipping on our own boot prints on rocks. Like as soon as you step off of it, it froze instantly. And we did that for like three or four hours. Just, you know, cold. So glad. So glad that I had heated seats at the end of it. <laughs> but it was so much fun just to get out there. And, and, you know, it's some, and sometimes in those scenarios, I'm not sure if it's so much like testing your ability to be uncomfortable as it is just like recapturing some element of like being a kid and playing yeah. out in the woods mm-hmm. and, you know, just like being at that really basic level. I think we, in our go bag, we have those little, uh, Hand heater things. Oh yeah, yeah. can fashion into a seat heater. Those are important. Yeah. If you get like thirty of them, <laughs> yeah, just yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can just pretend you're in your truck. Yeah, I love those things though. <laughs> they last forever. So I bought something uh, survival related a couple years ago um, to aid with communication. Uh, it's called a Gotenna. You ever heard of that? Oh yeah, it's like the is it like one of those Wi-Fi enabled things that you like Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah? oh uh it well it's at U UHF actually. Okay. It's it's a way for you to text via UHF. Oh that's nerd. It's so nerd. Yeah. That's awesome. But it's it works as like a like a mesh system, so like mm-hmm. it passively relays uh other people's messages. Uh, through the UHF. So the more people that have them, the longer your messages can go to get to the other person. It's, so how many other people have these? I don't know. I hope a lot. I want one. <laughs> There's going to be at least two people in the area that have Well, one we bought these. like five of them. And so it's just at least for our family, you know, we can communicate if we get split up or something. That's cool. It still depends on your device being charged so you got to have some sort of solar situation going on there Hmm. to keep things going so it plugs into your device no it actually is so it's bluetooth to your device but uhf to each other to the to other gotenas so how many different devices do you need to have like charged batteries in this case is that four for two people to talk? Yeah. So two, yeah, two phones and two of these devices. But if like the cell towers go down, you have you, a way. You have a way. Oh, I see. So it's an alternative uh, infrastructure. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. That's cool. That's pretty cool. Not sponsored, by the way. Yeah. Oh. Yet. There, we Yet. Will, <laughs> we'll be listing out all the non sponsors. Yeah. Yes. Recording them for sponsorship. <laughs> But I thought it was a, a pretty unique approach to, you know, a survival situation and, and, and helping with the communication aspect of it. Yeah. That is one thing that, like, we're super used to today that oh, yeah. will be a tremendous adjustment. Yeah. Should that ever happen. Yeah. And I was even thinking, like, uh, I remember when I was 
12, 11, 12 years old, just like in a public shopping center. My mom being like, okay, meet me back here at in an hour and a half. And we had no way to contact each other between those two time periods. Right. Which I would yep. never do today. No. So when like an earthquake hits and you have no idea where your loved ones are, that's going to be a tremendous shock just at how connected we are. Yeah. And it, everything is much slower. And you got to think about like different ways to get messages to people. Like I was thinking about this the other day, like you go to someone's house, they're not there. How do you like you, you got to have pen and paper to mm. like leave them a note or something. Like, this is so like you have to write something. You have to, this is so, uh, uh, you know, different than the way we operate in today. Cursive. In yeah. Wouldn't even, I would, oh, I couldn't even do that. They don't even teach it anymore. <laughs> no, it's not a thing. Uh, although it is pretty. Uh, wow, you really derailed me there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Mission accomplished. Uh, but yeah, like, like figuring out how to communicate with people is going to be a chore. Yeah. Like without the modern conveniences. Yeah. How do I mean, like just thinking about like 20 years ago, how do we do it? Like home phones and yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, it's an interesting thought too, that, um, I'm going to keep wrapping back to like the, the Astoria expedition Oh, because one of the issues is that like by the time a message reached either end, either Mm. party, it was so far from when those things were written. Mm -hmm. So the whole purpose of the thing was to set up like a, 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 a fur trade route where they would, take beaver pelts out of Astoria, take them to China, sell them to China, pick up silk from China and take it to London and then start the process over again. By the time they actually established it, like nobody cared about beaver pelts anymore. And so it kind of uncovered just like four tails. Well, I think, I don't think anybody would have turned down a beaver tail during that era, but, um, (laughs) but it uncovered like that, that communication lapse it took so long. It was like, a, you know, it just totally failed. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, we got all these beavers. Like, yeah, they're not worth anything now. <laughs> but thanks for setting up this small, muddy town in what north of West Oregon. What year are we talking about? Uh, early 1800s. Okay. Lewis and Clark was like 1806. Yeah, and this was like, like five years later. So bad about history sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, so by the by the time they got it set up, it was like gold rush time probably. Yeah, and yeah. then, you know, it was just like, well, we appreciate all that effort, but the entire commodity that we built this venture on no longer exists. Well, but, it exists, it's just not worth anything anymore. But now we have a nice quaint town. Yeah. That's nothing like New York. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was Astoria. Astoria. Yeah, they said that when they got there, it was just like, they were like, oh, we'll just set up a little farm. And it was just like old growth Pacific Northwest, like sloppy, muddy, rocky. Like, how are we going to survive here? Yeah, there's really not, I don't, there's not really any farming even close. No. To they couldn't get potatoes to grow. I mean, if you can't <laughs> get potatoes to grow, it's you're in bad shape. Even yeah. the Irish figured that out. 
<laughs> I can say that because I'm Irish guy. It's not offensive because it's coming from the source. I feel like we've only like scratched the surface though on this. Like we could, we could go on, yeah. You know, talk about this for quite a while. Maybe with people that actually know anything about wilderness survivors. You you know way more than I was prepared for you to know. Oh well, yeah. That's the key to setting low expectations. Yeah, I think it's East Coast. I think East Coast people like know more about that stuff, especially Southern people. Surely not. I don't think so. At least not my part of the Northeast. (laughs) See, I've personally never even gutted an animal other than a fish. I know how to do fish. I never have either. I I made him do it. Oh, okay. But you you know how... You could do it in a pinch, though, probably. Yeah, yeah. I I would not know what to do. Period. Uh, Paul, would you know what to do? Yeah, vaguely, I think I know. Like, gut a fish or an animal? Uh, I'm talking about an animal. An animal? Like a mammal. I feel like it's a similar concept, right? Well, yeah, remove guts, leave muscle. Hang it it for a while. I don't know how to skin it. I wouldn't know how to do skinning effectively. Yeah, and I think that's probably my point, is being able to do it the right way. Like, I could probably get it done, but... If I'm I don't doing know the it, tricks to it. I don't even care if it's the right way. I'm just <laughs> true. There's true. something desperate if I'm doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I have low quality friends just to gut my gut my squirrel for me. <laughs> low quality. <laughs> I don't mean low quality. I meant low class. Oh there you well, go. that is that is nice, mildly nice. less offensive. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna think about that. No, I, I, I find it um not that I have like a ton of experience, but it is very, it's the same as getting a fish. Like it's very much like deconstructing a puzzle, you know, and trying not to, uh, ruin. Right. You know, Just leave it right. edible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I think I would actually prefer animal over fish. I, I really don't enjoy fish. Really? Yeah. There, it, I mean like salmon. You spend you, a lot of time fishing though. Not I mean, not a, probably more than your average non-fisherman. <laughs> not not a tremendous. I spend a lot of I spend a lot of time fishing. I don't spend a lot of time cleaning fish, mm. um, which speaks to the quality of fisherman that I am. But one of the, one of the things I do like about salmon and steelhead is you can literally get the flays off them without ever touching guts. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's just like that part of fish cleaning i just don't it feels like uh reptilian there's something about it i just don't enjoy we went uh fishing or went with uh camping at a lake last weekend with my in-laws and we were pulling up some trouts and my mother-in-law always would because i i always let my fish go back because i i just didn't like gutting them or killing them or anyway i just let them go but my mother-in-law would always take them, and the way she would gut them was just barbaric. It was just like rip, rip the sides off, and she was just like, just some grab it, grab it with, yeah. grab it with her. T- so, and I caught a few, and I used the method that you showed me on uh, filleting salmon. You go down, 
and you just and you just pull off the giant chunk of clean meat. Mm-hmm. It, it was you were almost palatable. Like I could able, do that. You were able to do that with the size of fish that you had. Like, yeah, it was only like a foot, you know, 12, 14 inches long, yeah. but it was like I hate getting fish. I I, I won't do that any. I just but that particular method was I was surprised. Yeah, it works well. So I have one more fishing story. This is the last one, I promise. Okay. But, but this is from my childhood. My my dad hated fishing. My dad does too. My grandfather loved fishing. And he was like a Depression era. It must kid. be like a, one of those cultural slash generational things. Has to be. Yeah, with the glass of milk and the... yeah. You know, but my grandfather would take me, he, he'd get me out of the house on weekends, which I'm pretty sure is just a way to get me away from my parents now looking back. But we'd go fishing, and we would catch, one of the things you catch a lot of in the south is catfish, mm. which they have skin, like truly like skin, more like a shark than scales. And the way that you skin them, or the way that you clean them, is you have to somehow anchor them to something. So my grandfather would take a 16-penny nail, drive it through its head on a tree. That's legit. (laughs) And get a flap of skin going. And he had uh, false teeth. And he would grip the skin with his teeth and pull the skin off the catfish. Wow. The visual. Right? And he did it. Is just amazing. As though this wasn't troubling at all. And as a seven year old boy, I'm just like, you are the coolest individual <laughs> I have ever <laughs> met in my life that you just walked up and did that. Wow. So that was one of my first exposures to, to fishing, which is interesting. It just everything else is downhill from that. Like, that's that's amazing. So I've literally seen a family member clean a fish with their teeth. How many wow. people get to say that? Not really their teeth. Things Skin. That, things that were in their mouth that resembled right. teeth. That's actually an important <laughs> distinction, though, because it wasn't his actual teeth. I wonder if, if he didn't have false teeth, if it would have made a difference. Knowing him, probably not. Yeah. Did he take the teeth out, or were they still in his mouth? Oh, no, they were, they were still in his mouth. Oh, okay. I don't so know if he cleaned them later. Then. I don't know if he cleaned them later and took them out and stuff, but well, yeah, that's how you clean a catfish. He could have been on a commercial for like what's the glue that they use for the oh, teeth? Yeah, yeah. Sensodyne yep. or no something like something that. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. he could have been sponsored. I really think you should have led with that. Yeah, that's how we should have kicked it off. Right? I think that's how. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, why are you saving that to we the can, end? We can use this part for the beginning of the episode. Well, I think I think that transition. if I had to choose, if I could choose my grandfather in his prime, like if you had to choose one person to be with you, if you were surviving, if you had to survive in the wilderness, if I could choose <laughs> my <laughs> choose Joe, you, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are going to be sorely disappointed. Ew. If I could choose Wait. one person, it would be my grandfather in his prime. Because I just feel like he just had that ability to... Rip skin off with his teeth. Absolutely. Without <laughs> hesitation. Without I've hesitation. never heard that in my life. Yeah. That's going to be how I refer to people who are proficient at something now. They can really rip the skin off with their teeth, man. Right. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that could be a... No? Teeth or false teeth? I think it's catching yeah. on already. Yeah. <laughs> he had false teeth because he had done it so much with his real teeth. Yeah. <laughs> and the whole, like, nailing it to a tree, like... Yeah. That's just... I actually understand that's that. That's, that's a, it's a baptism of fire for, like, hey... Hey, grandson, let's go out for a nice day of fishing. No Thwack. doubt. So Thwack. you're Thwack. getting to the age where you could have, I mean, you could foresee, well, maybe you can't, having grandkids or a kid. I mean, you have a kid at least. At what point when you are out with your daughter fishing, do you go, you know what? I'm going to do something like rip catfish skin off with my teeth. Well, like, are you trying to, would you try to? I think I've already done. Press it? I would. I so my daughter is nine goes fishing with me, and uh, she's a really good at putting up with being uncomfortable for reasonable amounts of time. But I don't hide her from the process. So I mean, she's seen me dispatch a fish. Mm. She's seen me bleed a fish because I I want her to know what what that process is. You want to destroy her choices when she starts to like boys if if a if a boy comes in and can't reasonably put in a ceiling fan this would be good use for rip the skin off (laughs) with his teeth right yeah do you know how to properly cut the gill plate out of a salmon these are going to be screening things first of all what's a gill plate (laughs) i kind of like how he brought up he said ceiling fan I, I use that as a, a barometer where it's like it's a diff it's a medium level of difficulty to install a ceiling fan yourself. Mm. It requires a couple of different like know hows. Just make it happen. Yeah. Hmm. I mean a light. Are we, saying, are we talking about replace a ceiling fan or install one just like no holes cut in the drywall, no electrical run? Up to the cutout. I would, I would say I would be okay if there was a place to put a ceiling fan. Okay. Not that you had That's to c- run electrical <laughs> and put in the box and the whole Build thing. the house that holds the ceiling fan. Right. Yeah. Can you install a ceiling fan? All that's here is a field. <laughs> so, no I guess ceiling I can, yet. I but. guess I can start with the fan. <laughs> You just wire it up to you. your Jetta. Wire it up to the battery on your Jetta. And I'm going to listen to Hootie and the Blowfish while I do That's it. Right. My CD player in my car is broken, so I've dropped back to the three or four cassettes that I haven't thrown away since. Cassettes. Wow. The odd thing is they like randomly cut out and warble. Oh, yeah. And great. I roll with it. Warbling. <laughs> yeah. so nobody has experience. to deal with warbling anymore. Oh, bad encode on your MP3s that you ripped from your CDs that you used to have. A little, it's a little warbly, maybe. Yeah. Digitally, so. Yeah. I've got stuff that exists on a first generation iPod that exists nowhere else. You have a first working first generation. I kept it. Yeah. With the with the mechanical mm-hmm. scroll. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. Because they used to make them big back then. It was, yep. it was like, heavy, 40, yeah. like 40 like gigs a, or something like that. And they were like stainless steel mm-hmm. bodies. Like They were beautiful. Blunt yeah. force trauma can be had from those things. Yeah. I mean, they're legit. But yeah, there's there are recordings and things on that I don't have anywhere else. Hmm. Which could be a cool topic for a podcast, like the latency of of uh, how we store information today. Yeah, because I, I am like uh, I, I had yeah, storage <laughs> colon. This is slowly this is melting iceberg hard topic. <laughs> yeah. Today we're going to talk talk about storage. Yeah, we'll add that one to the list. Yeah, somewhere. absolutely. Last uh, our last podcast was on the difference between uh tradition and courtesy courtesy yeah hmm. is it courtesy more pod less cast though right <laughs> yeah we got it got heated it a podversation <laughs> podversation there you go <laughs> you got heated as christopher and i can get heated. it was not heated well guys it's been it's been fun this is great thank you guys for yeah having thanks us. for coming guys this was this is awesome yeah, maybe we'll have you on our podcast. Your podversation. <laughs> yes, yes, that's word, the word. Words hard. Colon podversation. Podversation. <laughs> that's awesome. I'm totally stealing yeah. that. Hey, Paul came up with it. Podversation. Okay. I'm Paul. I'm Jeff. I'm Christopher. I'm Joe. We, we have, have said, said words. words.